Welcome to the 2.23am podcast. I'm Christine McDougall and our guest today is Hero Boga. Hero is a writer, business strategist and mentor to visionary leaders who are dedicated to shaping a world in which service and profit, soul and entrepreneurship work hand in hand to create peace and prosperity for everyone. Sounds like 2.23am. Over the past three decades, Hero has helped thousands of clients and students reclaim joy, freedom, creative power and sovereignty in their businesses, their relationships and their lives. As a mentor and teacher, Hero blends transformative energy technologies, the magic of story and grounded spiritual practice with pragmatic business strategies. I've had the pleasure of working with Hero for the last year and I can say without question her approach has changed the way I work with both my business and my life. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's very different to the one from last week with Dr. David Martin, but the threads are the same. I think you'll appreciate them. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us. We are speaking today with Hero Boga. Uh, Hero has uh, been a central part of the whole process of the 2.23 a.m. journey. And uh, without her guidance and her work and support, uh, I don't think I could be in the place that I'm in right now to be having this conversation. And if I was in this place right now to be having this conversation, it would probably be seven, several years down the track. So welcome, Hero. It's such a pleasure to have you on uh, 2.23 a.m., the podcast. Thank you so much, Christine. Thanks for inviting me. I am so honored to be here and so, so very happy to see your vision come to life in this way. Thank you. So we are starting with the question, and I've been really thinking about this because of the work that we've done together. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the response that you have with this. But we are starting with the question, what wakes you at 2.23 a.m.? And it is a metaphor, but I, I, I'm sure you understand that. So would you be willing to speak into that for me? Uh-huh. <sighs> What wakes me, in, it, it, it's interesting because I feel as though it actually pulls me into a deeper state of dreaming, um, but what wakes me at 2.23 a.m. is both the sense of what it is that I'm here to do in this sort of last um, quarter of my life. I will be 65 next month. And I'm just really conscious of the presence of time and, and, and the act of completion. You know, it's not, not just completing the things that I have started, but also considering from the, from the viewpoint of completion what it is I want to begin now knowing that, you know, I have maybe another 20 years of, of, of active 
creative life, uh, if I'm fortunate, and that there are things that are mine to do, um, ways in which I can contribute and serve that I have put off um, and now won't be put off any longer. So in many ways, that's the, the kind of call in my heart, that's the knocking on the door of my heart that happens um, in deep sleep and in that state of surrender that is the middle of the night. Um, and with that comes also the call of my incarnation. So that is the call of my soul and what it is that my soul wants to do to serve. And then the call of my incarnation is about honoring the rhythms of my life in, um, in a way that um, is always evolving. You know, it's, I, I mean, I've never been 65 before, and so I don't know what it is that, um, that I need at this stage of my life, and I'm just making it up as I go along by paying attention and by really listening. And in many ways, the call from my body is one of um, even more spaciousness, and gentleness and ease um, and a kind of pulling in, not, not in an insular or isolated way, but a pulling inward um, to conserve my resources and to be really mindful and discerning about where and when I choose to expend my energy and my time. So it's that twofold process. It's the process of of the the inward nurturing and supporting myself and being in harmony with my body and in harmony with my life as it is now. And then out of that, that outward movement of into creativity and shaping and service um, to my world. And I think those are the, it's that it's the it's holding the tension between those in in a spacious way and and moving with the tides of that because there is a kind of tidal current that moves between these and and it's it you know this is true I think it's been true for me in my entire life it's not new what is new is the fact that. Um, that my mortality is closer. You know, I'm standing closer yeah. to to the the end of my life than than to the beginning of it. Um, mm. And so, the choices that I make um, are distilled in some way into the real essence of of my true desires, of what my soul is here to do, of what I am here to do, um, of what. What I'm also what I'm here to experience and express. So it's not just about doing; it's also about that quality of being that only comes from, you know, from that negotiation between the inner and the outer. Wow. Well, there's so many places I could go with that, and 
So let's start with, and, and I'm really mindful, particularly with the people that I have lined up um, to, to interview, and this is a process. Um, you know, one of the, the, the key parts of this podcast is that our um, intention is to re-interview every year for at least a couple of years and, and to really examine that. I think one of the things that would be really valuable um, to hear, um, particularly given your wonderful perspective as a, as a uh, energy alchemist and teacher is your your uh, the grace with which you, you are moving towards the end of this time and so would you be would you be willing to speak a little bit about how uh, how death and and the end of our current human existence how that is occurring to you as you as you because it's obviously you know behind this inquiry of you have this time left and what do you do with it and how do you manifest your and, and really connect with your true desires uh-huh. um, well I don't know that you know there have been other times in my life when I was younger where <clears throat> uh, meditations on death were part of my practice um, right it's it's and, and it's less so now. I've always done this. Mm. It's been a play with it where, you know, I will uh, tune in to, the, um, to that portion of my soul that holds the pattern for my death and right. tune in to that, that energetic matrix and, and, and feel where I am in relationship to it at, at the moment right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also just experience that energy. And the energy is always very joyful. It doesn't feel anything like mm. our usual tropes about death. It has never felt like any of the right. usual tropes about death. It, 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 there's, there's a, um, it's, not, it's not about, you know, liberation. It's not about transcending the body. There just seems to be a gathering together for me. When I, that, the way that I've experienced it, of all of the experiences of this incarnation and every other incarnation, uh, kind of gathering to a, 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 a closing place, and, yeah. and 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 in that gathering together, it feels very joyful to me. So, in wow. some ways. It, it's more, I think, more, when I talk about mortality, I'm thinking more in terms of a different relationship with time than I have had in the past. So in the past, there was more time ahead of me than behind me, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of my lifespan. And yes. there was always this sense of, um, of being able to stay in timelessness within the flow of time, uh, and so able to stay out of urgency. Right. And mm-hmm. that has been my practice, and it continues to be, but I'm also aware of a shaping force that comes with having less time ahead than there is behind me, you know. Uh, there's probably three quarters of my life is behind me, and there's perhaps a quarter, maybe more. I mean, none of us knows how long we have, but um, but but where I stand in relationship to the stream of time 
and in relationship to my lifespan as, as a unit of time um, is, is standing in a different place in the river. And so right. it's more about being in that relationship where in some way the other shore is, is closer and the choices that I make now matter more. Um, mm. I, I feel as though there was a, a sense of um, forgiveness, you know, in the past where, well, if I blew it in one direction and, you know, kind of went rambling off track for a while, it was okay. It was all part of the process. And, and there was time to course correct. There was time to bring myself back into the flow of my life. And it's not that that isn't the case now, but I'm just conscious of the fact that I have less time uh, for those kinds of diversions uh, and less, also less just energy and capacity uh, physically, you know. So I'm much more mindful, and it sounds more deliberate than it is, um, in some ways, it's not that different from what I've always done. It's kind of tuning into the flow of how I feel and what's going on around me and kind of going with that, you know. Um, but, but there is that element of choice and, and, and deliberation and discernment uh, that comes, I think, with being conscious of of yeah. having a different relationship with time at age 65 than at age 45 mm-hmm. or 25. Yeah. One of the things that um, I've really um, appreciated, one of the many things that I've really appreciated about working with you is is uh, what I, I'm hearing behind what you've just said, which is there's this... Uh, there's a connection to... Um, let me let me rephrase that. In our in our current business world, the the um, there is a huge sense of urgency. There is a, uh, uh, and I'm going to put this in parentheses, a sort of a go hard or go home mentality, uh, uh, um, where where the hero is the one that works 17 hours a day or whatever that that story is, and and and. It doesn't, I mean, I can understand that you can do it for short periods of time when you have a deadline, but it actually, and we all know this, I think, it doesn't serve any purpose. And one of the most amazing aspects of our, you know, the work that I've done with you is to really, um, really challenge some of those core beliefs around uh, what success and what business is and so on. I'm hearing that with what you're saying, that, that um, as, as you approach uh, the latter part of your life, it's not that you're using a higher degree of discernment. It's just it's just that that the the choices are um, not that they matter more. It's 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 really really and it just sort of turns back to uh, really connecting with the true desires that that need to be made manifest. And. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- th- this uh, staying out of the urgency and, and, and not getting caught up in that whole um, 
cycle, which is a very, very typical part of the, the, the current business model that we have in society. Um, uh, you know, it's definitely been something that I've learnt so much from you that I think you're speaking into now. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. You started out by saying the current sort of mantra in business is go hard, go, go hard or go home. And <laughs> something I mean, like given that. that choice, I would always go home. Yeah. <laughs> given any choice, I'll go home. <laughs> yes. So to me, yes. the, the what what matters. Um, in business as in anything else, is that we know ourselves and we know what what we truly want uh, as opposed to what we are taught to think we should want. We know ourselves from the inside rather than from the outside. It's really interesting. You know, I've talked, I mean, I have private clients who um, have achieved enormous success in their sort of work lives and business lives. Um, and the biggest shift that happens is that shift from looking at themselves from the outside in to looking at themselves from the inside out or to experiencing mm-hmm. themselves from the inside out. Because when you're, ex- when you're looking at yourself from the outside in, you're always judging yourself by somebody else's criteria. Yes. And you cannot then be in touch with what your true desires are because it's too risky. It may mean that you're not meeting, um, you know, meeting up with the standards that you believe you should be living up to. Uh, And yet, if it's not making you happy, I mean, if it makes you happy to go hard, then go hard. You know, if, if you... If you are are one of those people who just naturally has tons of energy, loves to be really active and and out there doing and creating, then go for it. You know, it's Mm. not that one desire is better than another. It is simply knowing what it is that you truly want and what and, and, and beyond the kind of surface wants to what is your heart's true desire because our desires are always the voices of our souls. It's your soul saying, Hey, you know, this is this is what we're really here to experience and express. And so if you're not experiencing and expressing those qualities of soul in a form that is natural to you and that um, allows you to feel grounded and present and whole and expansive rather than fragmented and fractured and racing to meet some objective that, you know, you don't know why you're chasing it, um, you're never really going to find your way because you're chasing the wrong dream. You're chasing somebody else's definition of success or somebody else's idea of what you should be doing. And sooner or later, those parts of you that you have had to suppress in order to chase that vanishing horizon are going to rise up and trip you up because Mm. every one of us... um, seeks home, and home is that sense of wholeness, of belonging to ourselves, of belonging to our earth, of belonging uh, to our lives, 
And that can only happen when you are truly honoring every part of you. So if, you know, if you are caught in kind of a workaholic mode, and I get, I mean, I, I get, get this way too, you know. There will be times, most recently for me, when I was bringing on board a new team um, in my business, and I just was, I had to, to kind of work at a pace that was really out of rhythm with my body. And I just got to this place where nothing was joyful anymore. You know, I didn't yeah. wake up in the morning feeling really happy about meeting the day. I just wanted to crawl back under the covers. And for me, because the gap between, you know, those these different parts of myself that need different things is actually quite small. It didn't take long before, you know, my body just said, that's it. I am not doing anything more until you restore some balance and some harmony here. And so I took myself yeah. off to, you know, to a resort that had a great spa and I had a massage every day and I, you know, slept and ate and read and, and I had to push that reset button. But in many yeah. ways it's better if we can just live in rhythm with our bodies. And it's challenging to do that. You know, and it, it can be re it can get very easy, especially when you own your own business, to just work all the time because yes. this is your baby and you want to give it everything you've got. But once you've given it everything you've got, you're completely depleted, and what you've got is depletion, and that will show up immediately in the world of your business. As mm. you know, people will will disappear, clients will disappear, customers will vanish, the, your customer service will start to fall apart, the quality of your product will fall apart. There, there's, there's such a direct link between your own well-being and, and the inner ecology of your life and what happens in the world of your business. And once you get that, um, you realize that working yourself half to death doesn't serve any purpose. It doesn't serve your business. It doesn't create um, joy and vitality, but it also doesn't create money and prosperity either. You know, it'll yes. do that for a while, but those things will dry up because the wellsprings that nourish them are also the wellsprings that nourish you. Right. Yeah. So what would you say what would you say to a, a a young entrepreneur for example who um let me let me see if I can give you an example a young entrepreneur who a really good heart and is is uh has created a really successful business um on the surface you know that's the outside and inside the desires um well, there's a disconnect and I think this is fairly common I, um in in my experience I found that people um, it, it, there's, there's uh, some sort of um, educational thing that happens from birth where to really connect with our true desires and actually not just connect, but uh, create um, a permission, an inter interior permission that our true desires are actually worth going for and, and making manifest in the world uh, through our expression in business. So... Um, 
because I know that some of the people who are going to be listening to this are, are, are going to be in exactly that spot and they're going to hear you say, you know, you can't go mm -hmm. up to your trigger's eyes. You know, that's not going to work for somebody mm -hmm. else. <laughs> but that's not, that's, you know, I've created Well, the truth is that your, your deepest desires are also the source of your greatest creativity and, right. your, and your power, you know. You can, you can function on will, and people do, yeah. you know, willpower, um, for a while. But it is a yes. very limited resource. Willpower is an extremely limited resource, and you, you're best off using it more like a condiment uh, than like the right. main course of your meal um, because, because it burns out very quickly and you can't regenerate it fast enough to keep using it. You know, it's, it's, yes. it's like the starter of your engine rather than, than the engine itself. So if you are a young entrepreneur and you have created, you know, a business that is thriving and successful, uh, congratulations, that is really great. And you've probably done it by putting your heart and soul into it and working very long hours. And now it's time for you to step back and ask yourself if you were, and here's where we can play the death card, you know. If you knew that you had one more week to live, what would you choose to do differently? Hmm. If you knew you had one more year to live, how would you choose to live? It's not that you would abandon this beautiful business that you have created, but you would have a different relationship with it. So that's one question to ask yourself. The other question is, is to ask yourself, you know, because you are in relationship to your business, and if you think about the relationship between you as being like a marriage, and if in your marriage you spent all of your time working and you never nourish, you, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't play, you didn't uh, nurture your mind with, with intellectual stimulation, you didn't nurture your heart with, uh, with deep connections, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have much to bring to the marriage anymore. Yeah. And it's the same between you and your business. You may think that by working longer and longer hours in your business, you are actually cementing that relationship or that bond between you more fully, but you're not. What you're doing is bringing just one narrow part of yourself and shutting every other part of yourself out of the relationship. And in doing that, your business ultimately will suffer because you're not bringing your full self to it. And to bring your full self to it, you have to take yourself away from it. You have to do, I mean, for me, it's absolutely essential to do something each day that has no purpose whatsoever um, <laughs> related to your business, you know. That, that you do purely for the love of it, purely for the joy of it. Um, that it has no monetary purpose. You can't, 
you can't leverage it, you can't monetize it, you can't, you know, that, that it is something you do just for love. For me, it's reading poetry, uh, reading essays by, often by poets. Um, you can't make a living from poetry, there's, you know, yeah. there's no agenda there. But it's those things that you meet without an agenda that remind you of the truth of relationship, you know, which is that agenda-driven relationships are short-term, they're transactional, and they don't last. And if you want a lasting relationship with your business, then you had better nurture it with something more than agenda. It's a bit like that's a pre- that's a pretty powerful statement. I I've, that I I really like that agenda driven relationships don't last. And uh, it, 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 so say, I really like you to say more about that because I know one of the wonderful things that I've learned from you. One of them, again, you know, many things I've learned is that uh, that I'm not my um, I'm not my business, and my business is not me, and that um, I, I I have this amazing relationship with my business, where it where it is really a, it's become a partnership um, that is really quite extraordinary, and um, and the more I partner with my business, the stronger both myself and my business become. Um, so but I'd, I'd really love to hear you uh, speak. Is that, I've never heard that said before, but I, that, that's actually going to be a, a blog that I'm going to write, Hero. <laughs> well, that, that, is, that is at the heart of everything that I teach, you know. That, yeah. that it's, it's, we're so used to identifying ourselves with our creations. And, yeah. you know, so we say, my business. Um, and and we somehow think that what happens in the business is a reflection of us. I've had so many students over the years say, but my business is me. There's nothing else. I'm a massage therapist or I'm a real estate agent or, you know, my business is me. If if I were to drop dead tomorrow, there would be no business. And that may be true. May be true that if you were to drop dead tomorrow, there would be no more business, but your business is not you. It has its own soul. It, it begins in, in the soul realm. It begins in the subtle energy realms, just as you do. And if, if you think of the analogy that I like to use is the analogy of children, you know. If you have children, You've given birth to them. It is, you know, they they come from your body. They come from your love. They come from your willingness uh, to give them life. So their lives are absolutely intimately woven with yours, but they are not you. They have their own souls. They have their own path in life. They have their own purpose, their own mission, their own trajectory, their own friends and allies, and it's exactly the same with your business. And your business cannot yeah. exist until you agree, until you make an agreement with the soul of your business to bring it to life. Because the soul of your business can't act in the physical world except through you. Right. But once, you know, once it's born and once it has, has started to grow up, it becomes increasingly clear that it has its own 
agenda. It has its own life. It has its own story. And it's different from yours. When you, once you get that, you can have a much healthier relationship with your business because you can still live your life. And if yes. you've got difficult things going on in your life, they don't have to affect your business. Your business has the power and the capacity to carry itself through. And, I mean, certainly my business has done that. You know, I've been in business for 35 years, and over that period of time, there have been times when I have had lots of, of energy and, and, and resources to commit to my business, and other times when I haven't. You know, there have been times when I had very, very young children or um, when I was ill and I was injured, and and I had to pull back and let my business trust that my business would do its thing, not mm-hmm. without me at all, but that my role had to shift from being the one to drive the business to simply, you know, guiding it and leading it and letting it find its own way and trusting that the systems and the structures that I had created would 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 carry it. So, mm. it, I mean, it's so essential to know that, even just on that very practical level, but also on a much deeper level. Once you recognize that your business has its own soul, then you can partner consciously with the soul of your business. It has, you know, it has all of the immense resources that your own soul has, and then some. And Mm. it means that you are not doing this alone. That's what happens, I think, for so many so many entrepreneurs, even when they're long past the solopreneur stage and, you know, they're CEOs of large companies, uh, in many ways that sense of aloneness uh, deepens as the organization gets bigger and more complex. But in the soul of your business, you have a constant partner with whom you have had a long relationship and it's uh, it's not a relationship that is going to go away. I mean, you can have people joining your staff, leaving your staff, team members entering, team members leaving. Uh, but this relationship is constant, and because of its constancy, it can continue to expand and deepen and become richer. And you're the 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 soul of your business, the babe of your business can show you possibilities that you can't even imagine because it has a much broader vision for your business. And it's not limited by your limitations. You know? Yes. So if I think about my business, if I'm, you know, when I'm talking to, to the soul of my business, which I do each day, yeah, I have a limited lifespan and I have a limited capacity in terms of energy and time and so on, but it does not. And it can show me, it does show me, you know, this is what's possible. This is what the soul of my business wants to create. And it will show me also, this is not dependent on me. I mean, I, it will show me practical steps that I need to take to, to connect with the kinds of support 
that it has in its kind of in its own realm and and quite miraculous things will show up opportunities will open up i still have to follow up on them but they're not things i could create on my own they're things that i couldn't mm. even dream of they're outside of the realm of my imagination you know yeah so when you have and, that and partnership you've got like two different geniuses coming together yes 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 uh, and, and I mean that's that. I'm I'm uh, at the beginning stages of developing uh, um, that that level of relationship, and I hear there's a couple of things that are, are really critical behind that. That um, which is that. Um, so first of all, this is a relationship, and, it, and like any healthy relationship, it requires focused attention. And it's that it's that making that time to be in 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 communion with with your business, um, so that, there, that that relationship is not only built, but that 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 um, the partnering and the and the listening and and so on can can develop. And sort of underpinning all of that is this this deep sense of trust. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And I think even that, you know, uh, and looking at the, the trust that lives under that in in, a, in the world that we live on, where most of our business systems, our monetary systems, and so on, are based and propagated on on a platform of scarcity. Um, there's a, a huge sense of not just trust, but a huge sense of of an abundant universe that I've I've learned through your work as well as. Um, uh, um, developing this relationship. Yeah, because developing this relationship puts us in touch with the incredible ways in which we are held. You know, it it strips away that illusion that that the three-dimensional world is all that there is. Because it yes. can get, if if you think that that's all there is, then you are constantly coming from a place of being a very small person in a very large world. And there's just a natural sense of contraction in the face of that, you know? Mm. And because as entrepreneurs we're taking risks every day, if you take risks from that place of I'm really small, it's a big scary world out there, then you're continually jacking your central nervous system into a state of alarm. Um, And that can create all kinds of problems. Mm. But when you have this daily communion and this, this daily connection to the deeper sources of your own being and that of your business, it puts you in touch with the entire universe of subtle energy which Mm. is there whether you acknowledge it or not but when you do acknowledge it then you know yourself to be held you know that you are held in much more powerful arms than your own and yet you are also part of what holds that fabric of the universe in place so you're not just you're not like a child being cradled, but you are also the arms that cradle. And yes. it gives you both that sense of home and belonging and of your own agency, your own power, your own creative contribution to this amazing partnership with your business, but also to the amazing 
creation of the world that is, I think, ultimately the greater purpose for which we're all here. You know, that mm-hmm. business can be because it fundamentally addresses those issues of how to make a living, how yes. to provide for yourself, your family, your community, um, that by doing that and connecting that to those soul sources, uh, it has such an incredible power to be a force for good in our world. Mm. Wow. Um, so, you, I mean, you, you mentioned you've been in business, and, and, and uh, I know that you've, you, in um, a previous business, um, you, you had quite a number of employees and, and so on and so forth. Is that correct? Can you say a little bit more about your... Um, your yeah, well, I had, I had a training and research center, and so it was like mm-hmm. a school. Um, okay. For grown-ups, you know. So yes, I had I had staff, I had um, teachers that I employed, um, who I had trained, and and it was a it was a complex, busy enterprise, and I was you know, in my thirties and forties, and 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 had the capacity. Um, to to lead that, to create that, to help shape that, and yeah, um, yeah, and, and and also I mean because there's there's uh, I thought a lot about this in reference to your background because I know that you were um, you were born in India but you spent most of your life in in North America is, is that is that correct? Yes, I mean, I, I, I was born and raised in Bombay. Um, I left when I was 21, and I haven't, you know, I've never lived there since. I've lived here in, well, I was in, in the United States for four years as an undergraduate, and then um, emigrated to Canada, and I've lived here ever since. So I have spent all of my adult life. Uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. Do you, I, I would imagine, um, but I'm not. You know, that this is an assumption that I'm making. That that some of the the uh, the early cultural influences um, from India. Um, can you attribute to them informing you in any way around in, around the, the work that you're doing today? Is there is there a um, is there a let me see um, because the work that you 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 do is both unique and not unique um, beautiful um, and and just extraordinary around really partnering with your business and and who you are and so on and um, so how did you gather those threads <laughs> ah, it's a good question um, well I th- I know that that India and being born there and being raised there had a profound influence on my life. And there was, as with all things, it was purposeful. You know, my soul chose to be born in India because that was the best place for me to grow up. And then I chose to leave because this was the best place for me to to live and work and 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 kind of carry on the work of my incarnation in. 
um, for completely different reasons. I think that the things that were so valuable to me um, growing up in India, I, I mean, I can't even begin to list them. It's so it's yeah. a complex thing, you know, but they're, one of the things is simply that all of us are born, we are, each one of us is born knowing who we are. We know that we are incarnate souls. We know that we have these amazing, astonishing gifts and capacities. And part of the process of growing up is learning how to negotiate the difference between our limitless capacities on a soul level and the limitations of physical life because mm. in the physical world, you know, I mean, in, in, on a soul level, I can be in Australia with you. But yeah. on a physical level, we have to be on oh. this phone line even to speak, you know. Yes. So there's a difference between physical reality and energetic reality. And we all start out knowing who we are energetically and then figure out how to make that work within the limitations of the physical world. What makes it more difficult here, at least in, in, the, in the West, is that it, it, the foundation of Western culture is reason, or it has been since the Enlightenment. Um, you know, so we have... In, in many ways, a very materialistic view of the world, the sense that the, the material world is all that there is, our five senses and what we can perceive with them and what we can observe through scientific um, uh, processes is real yeah. and everything else is myth or story or fantasy or not real. When we, when as a culture we hold those belief systems, they exert enormous pressure on on the newborn soul, on the new baby, and then that baby grows up in a family environment that may or may not reinforce those belief systems. Certainly, by the time they get to school, they are being more and more conditioned um, to forget who they are and yeah. to begin to look outward for reflections of who they're supposed to be. So there's a kind of soul loss. It's not a loss of soul, but a disconnection from soul that happens. And it's not that that doesn't happen in India. I certainly don't want to romanticize the culture at all. But there's a much greater integration yeah, between yeah. the life of the body, the life of the world, and the life of the spirit and the soul, that they're not separate from each other. You know, they're kind of woven. Mm. Everything is woven together. Um, I've experienced that same sense of wholeness in the few contacts that I've had, the few sort of close contacts that I've had with, um, with Aboriginal peoples, with First Nations peoples yes. in Canada, because they have a similar holistic view of the world with, you know, Spirit is, doesn't mean church on Sunday. It is who yeah. you are. It's how you live. 
uh, it informs all of your relationships and puts you in relationship with everything and everyone around you. And we have lost that in our Western culture. So for me, I'm really grateful to have had that time to to anchor my knowing, that yeah. inner knowing that I came in with, into my day-to-day life without yeah. separating it out or shutting it out. Um, so by the time I came here, even though I was only 21, I was 21. And I had yeah. <laughs> had my own, you know, very direct experiences of... Um, of the, of both the physical world and the non-physical world, and the ways in which they intertwine and the ways in which they interconnect, and that was pretty much established for me. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't come with the same cultural assumptions that yes. that my kids perhaps. I mean, they, my kids didn't quite grow up with that because they grew up in my household. But but you know, there is that that sense. Certainly I noticed it when they got into kind of uh, junior high school and all of a sudden they had to turn that off because if they didn't, it was it was too weird for them. Yes. They couldn't talk about that with their friends anymore, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So I think that there is definitely huge gifts in India. And I, you know, I, I mean, I culturally I started meditating when I was Three and did yoga. Three, yeah, three, three, three. Yeah. Um, wow. So it was just part of kind of part of the rhythms of life, and and that inner knowing that I came in with was not weird to yeah there. So my dad would tell he told he tell this these stories, you know. And one of the stories was that. When I was three, and I don't have any memory of this because I don't really remember much about that time, yeah. but he took me to a lecture uh, at the university in Bombay by um, some world-famous authority, Sanskrit scholar, Vedic scholar, uh, authority on the Vedas and pre-Vedic, um, you know, um, um, whatever. And... Um, he, the man was a friend of his. We sat, so we sat kind of in the front row, and you know, and he gave his lecture, and all these people were there, and there were dignitaries and so on. And then he asked if anyone had questions or if anyone wanted to discuss. And apparently, I, you know, sat there and I kind of took down his thesis point by point by point, and and gave gave this other vision of what what I saw and and you know and my dad said he, the, this man and I talked for like an hour and a half after the lecture was over <laughs> <laughs> but in in any I mean if that had happened here I would probably have been sedated and hospitalized <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah in a psychiatric unit but yes. it's, it's so there are assumptions in that culture that really supported um, my growth. Yeah. You know, they allowed me to stay whole and not get fragmented or not shut out yes. myself. 
And I, I think that that was very valuable. Hmm. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really aware um, when we were really looking at 223AM as a, as a brand, um, which has a magical, mystical um, origin in its own right, which uh, will be told in a story, but um, uh, that, that a, a lot of people do wake at that time. Uh, this call is that there is this recognition that of, the, of the wholeness that you spoke about, that we're present, we're aware of in our, um, in our birth and formative years, and, and, the, and the longing to, to, to find that, which um, we sort of circle back to um, the beginning of our conversation where we talked about um, coming home or home. And that's my, that's my deepest sense that there is a, particularly in the West, there, that there are so many wonderful people who, are, who have a deep commitment and aspiration to, to uh, a more whole expression of both themselves and their business. Yeah. And the gift of the West and the reason that I've spent my entire adult life here uh, and not in India is that there is value to the individual life. Right. And there isn't. Oh, yes. There isn't yes. in those older cultures, you know. Um, there, there is, there is a kind of freedom uh, to express your soul, to express your soul's desires, uh, to become who you can be. Yes. Uh, not in a, not in a kind of, you know, striving. Uh, I mean, though there's that too, but, but to truly expand into your soul's potentials because. It's those gifts that you bring to the world, and it's those gifts that change and transform the suffering of the world into something rich and beautiful and nourishing for everybody. And wow. in, in, you know, my experience of India anyways was that there was this, such a strong streak of fatalism and of everything is preordained and, you know. Yes. You, people are incredibly loving and kind within their own circles, and then they can be incredibly brutal um, and thoughtless when it comes to the collective good and right. those those traditional roles and traditional beliefs can become very rigid and very confining, yes. particularly for women. But yes. I mean, any time that one one part of society is is bound by um, by role definitions. All of society is bound by those role definitions too. Yes. So there is there is you know deep spiritual connection in India, and there is uh, a profound uh, understanding and experience of freedom here. And I remember the very first time that I sort of sat down and, and connected with both the Deva of India and the Deva of Canada side by side and realized, wow, okay, this is why I chose to be born there and this is why I've chosen to live here. Right. That I needed that foundation and then I needed to move from there into concrete action. 
Yeah, and, um, and it's a whole another conversation that we're not going to have now, but I also think mm -hmm. that part that you mentioned around um, there's more opportunity for a woman to express the whole of themselves um, in, in a lot, you know, and it's still not perfect, but in a lot of the Western culture. It's, it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, hopefully the world is changing towards that everywhere. <laughs> So I, I just in, in I want to circle back to sort of complete this conversation and and go back to the the sort of the opening um, you, where you're really um, aware of the of, of time and, and and so on and unfolding and what you're wanting to do and this that while you have the capacity and so on would you um, would you be open to speaking into a little bit about what's arising there for you? Yes. Sure. I mean, to the extent that I can, because yes. in some ways I don't, you know, I'm meeting something that I, that I, whose shape I don't know yet. Um, yes. It's like a, 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 you know, just glimpsed kind of little glimpses of what's coming. But yes. in the work that I've been doing, um, I see more and more the need for people, for each one of us to step into our own leadership. And it isn't leadership in the sense of one fearless leader and 9,000 mm. followers. It is that inner sense of agency, you know, of sovereignty mm. and agency, of saying this world is... I am part of shaping the world in which I want to live. If, whether you believe in a divine being or God or goddess or whatever, if that didn't exist, then you would still be responsible for creating a world of kindness and generosity and love or the opposite. You know, mm. it's our actions that shape the world in which we live. And it's, so it's leadership in that sense of accepting the responsibility as human beings, um, the creative responsibility um, for what we bring to the world and, and the ways mm. in which our presence, energetically and otherwise, shapes it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we all have to you know, rush off to Calcutta and, and become Mother Teresa, but it does mean that it requires a, 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 a commitment to living mindfully, to being conscious of our internal states, because whatever our state of being is, that's what we contribute to our world. That's the place yes. from which everything flows. So even if you are you know, writing the most magnificent, inspiring book in the world, if you do it from a place of great stress and anxiety and, um, and, and, and driving your body beyond its capacity, that book will be infused with those qualities. So it's being mindful on a moment-to-moment -moment level of what energy you are generating because that's the mm. through which you're shaping the world. So it's that sense of leadership and, and, and the things that are calling me now are about, you know, I want to create a program or I'm in the midst of creating a program that has to do with that. That how do we become 
um, the leaders that we are so that our world yes. can become the world that it can become, you know? Yes. Um, and also with that, because to me nothing is separate from anything else, then that encompasses how uh, our relationships with our bodies, our relationships with other people, our relationships with our planet, our environment, with our work, our businesses, um, and with the communities and cultures that we create. You know, every mm -hmm. business is a culture. And the more consciously we envision what we want that culture to be, the more consciously we can shape it because we have that power within our businesses. I mean, that's part of the joy of being an entrepreneur is we have the power to create the kind of culture that we want as a microcosm of the world that we want. Yes. So that's kind of my next project. And the other project is um, uh, a new collection of poems. So. Yes. Very, very nice. Hero, um, I um, uh, can't tell you how grateful I am for uh, both discovering you um, as a as a, a teacher and uh, and steward and guide for the beautiful work that you do, and also for uh, stepping up to participate in the 2:23 a.m. conversation. And uh, I look forward to. Um, the unfolding uh, story and and a, a revisitation of this in about a year's time. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I look forward to it too. I think that's a wonderful <laughs> thing, you know. One yeah. of the things I love about teaching in the way that I do is that people come back and and yes. you can see the progression, you know, from one yes. year to the next. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what a lovely, and, 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 I mean, wonderful creation you've made. I'm sorry? Oh, this is such a wonderful project, this 223 yeah. project. You will have to tell <laughs> the story of 223. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the idea to, uh, to, to not just create a podcast, but create a podcast that steps back into the conversation for at least a couple of years with the same people really came to me um, both through through connecting with my deep desires through a conversation with my own business and uh, and through the influence of your work so a deep bow of gratitude and uh, I hope you have a, a beautiful afternoon um, of what's left of it thank you so much for joining us if you want more of 2.23 a.m., then you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to the blog of 2.23am.com. That's blog.223am.com, where you'll find articles and interviews featuring stellar guests from around the world, plus tools and resources, and much, much more. Follow 2.23 a.m. on Twitter at twitter.com slash 2 underscore 23 a.m. That's 2 underscore 23 a.m. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash 0223 AM. Till next time, thank you for listening. Shine.